This podcast is brought to you by Bonus Room Productions, and we own this town. I am Jason T. Mears Esquire. And I'm Kelly Hoyle Bullock. And we are San Dimas Today. How's it going, Kelly? Oh, man. It feels like it's been forever since I've seen you. I know. It's, it's, it's been hours. And I got to say something before we, we move on. Um, as a member of the club, welcome to 40, man. Oh, thank you. All right. So, so uh, you gave it away. I did. I did. I ran off to New Orleans and decided to turn 40. Yeah. And you survived. I did. You lived I to did. tell the tale. It was a blast. I might have time traveled in a phone booth down there. That's amazing. That is amazing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sorry I couldn't be there, but you know. That's all right. It's all right. You had a bit of a staycation yourself. I did. I did. I stayed. I caved. Uh, went into a cave and came out. I emerged. That's awesome. Yes. All right. So here we are, um, San Dimas today. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? Bill and Ted? Are we going to talk about some Bill and Ted I today? think so. So, um, you know, we, we made that executive decision that we're going to really pay our tribute to the personages of historical significance. Oh, man. I've been looking forward to this episode since we decided to do this podcast. This is going to be so much fun. Do we just throw it out there? You know, the bread and butter at the end of this episode. When you get there, you're going to hear an interview with Napoleon himself, that, actor Terry Camilleri. This guy was just a pleasure to talk to. Had so much insight in the filming and the process and just uh, how the character of Napoleon really grew and grew thanks to his involvement. It could have right. been a completely different movie if they hadn't had Terry. Definitely. This was a real treat and something I wasn't sure we'd ever really get to experience on this podcast. But getting to talk to a guy who had personal experience working with George Carlin. Yeah. How cool is that? No. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry. Don't want to don't <laughs> give anything away. All right. So... So let's let's just start with a little setup here. You know, um, we're 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 honing in here on Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the first movie, and um, you know, as as most of you know, uh, they have the setup where uh, Rufus goes back in time, deliver these guys a uh, a time traveling phone booth, um, so they can finish their history report. Uh, he gives he gives them uh, what would we call it a little demo, a little trial run, if you will. Absolutely, it's it's like the seven day. Uh, trial period of any of your streaming services. <laughs> Here you go, guys. Let's go check out. Uh, let's go check out France and see what's going on. Yeah, with yeah, yeah. Let's let's drop into France <laughs> in the middle of a battle. Right, and I believe the footage they used for that battle was uh, footage from a War and Peace. Uh, uh, oh, like just some stock footage. Yeah, stock footage from a, a War and Peace TV movie or something. <laughs> so awesome. if you check the credits, I, I think they they show that that's what they used for some of that bigger stuff, which is just fantastic. It, it's great. So they're in they're in Austria and they're they're outside the phone booth, and they look they look across the field and who should be standing there but Napoleon? Yeah, yeah. I think my favorite shot there is is when Napoleon's looking through his telescope and they wave at him. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, why would you not wave to him? They're like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> so good. It's um, just great. And then, you know, he's like, blow them up. <laughs> and instead he gets blown up himself. And as they leave, he gets sucked into the uh, circuits of time. And right. it takes takes the wildest ride through the circuits of time. And then what's cool is in Bogus Journey, they follow that up because that's obviously possible, right? Right. Rufus does the things, same thing to mm -hmm. escape Denomalos. Mm-hmm. So cool how they yeah, write that. Yeah, in. yeah, it's nice. We can talk about Napoleon a little bit more at the end, but let's let's run through some of these other right. Um, okay, so you know we'll fast forward a little bit in the movie. Okay, so they've been left on their own by Rufus, mm -hmm. and uh, first place they go to is the Old West. 
fantastic little scene, them walking into the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they order some beers. Yeah. Two beers. And Dude, he didn't even card me. I know. We're going to have to remember this place. Just, <laughs> just wonderful. Uh, then then they get sucked into a uh, cheating scheme with none other than Billy the, the Kid. Billy the Kid. And, you know... <clears throat> I, you know, I enjoy history, and I'm I, I consider myself somewhat of an old West buff, and uh, I'd say there were some differences between the real Billy the Kid and then our boy Dan Shore's Billy the Kid. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I tend to disagree. Uh, what I know of history, I learned from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, so I think probably they nailed it. So, like, he he walks in, yeah, right, <laughs> and they're. You know, he's looking tough, intimidating, mm-hmm. you know, he's mm-hmm. like, needs to put together uh, a, a, a team to play poker, right? Yeah. And uh, he get he hires Bill and Ted. <laughs> <laughs> hires a strong word. It's more like intimidating. Oh, dude, when did this movie come out compared to Young Guns? Ooh, that's a good question. Because Billy um, the Kid was definitely having a moment there. Yeah, like the I feel like 80s. Young Guns was probably 86. 86, it's got to be close. Right. right. Should have probably looked that up. Yeah, huh? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Off the cuff. But it was around the same time. Um, yeah. So if you're going to compare Emilio Estevez to Dan Shore. There we go. I mean, that. <laughs> I think Dan Shore nailed it. No, no offense to Mr. Estevez. Well, well, I will say this is, is that, um, you know, it starts off intimidating, but then uh, then they're playing the game, right? Yep. And then the other guys at the table realize that they're being cheated. Mm-hmm. And then, like, Billy turns into a total wimp. Yeah. He's just like, gulp. Real Billy the Kid would have killed everyone. Yeah, maybe. Bill maybe. and Ted included. <laughs> but he didn't. Because he didn't. And he I th- saw something in those 80s clothes those guys were wearing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I can get into this. Turn. And I, I like how, how Billy the Kid kind of becomes the unofficial den mother of the phone booth. Yeah. He's the personage of historical importance that takes all the others under their wing. And he's kind of like, all right, Bill and Ted are in charge, but I'm going to help everybody else out. He's, he's like the, come on, guys, let's go. Let's get together. And he's, you know, he's helping out. He, It's really, yeah, really yeah. kind of neat. No, I know. So after they pick up uh, Socrates, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> a.k.a. Socrates. Yes, yes. Um, and then they make it to, uh, to medieval England. Uh, they step out of the booth. And we've talked about it before. Oh, uh, it's just the, just some of the best, and and I, gosh, I have to hope this was like somewhat improv to a degree. You'd have to think like, or maybe somebody's like, here, let's 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 get this Nerf football in there somehow, right? And if if you're paying attention at all in the background while they're ogling over the the castle and the princesses, you see Billy the Kid and Socrates start playing football together. It's fantastic. Apex of Western civilization, all mm-hmm. of cinema, right there. That is the greatest moment. And yeah, and then they take the buddy thing to the next level mm-hmm. with the rescue. Yes. Oh man, it, it's it's just fantastic, fantastic. Mm-hmm. And you know, if it was improvised, that's genius. But if it was also scripted as something going on in the background, that's also genius. Yep. You know, yep. either way, you don't lose it. You know, you can't take anything away from anybody for coming up with that idea and executing it so well. Completely agree. And so, you you know, you have, you know, the first three folks that are introduced, uh, uh, Napoleon, Billy the Kid, Socrates. They m- Most of the screen time is with, with these three, right? Yes, <clears throat> absolutely. Everybody else kind of comes into play in that. That montage. montage, right? Right. Um, which is fantastic. Yeah. Especially uh, when Joan of Arc gets picked up. The Go-Go's Jane Weedlin, primary songwriter, rhythm guitarist. Amazing musician, <clears throat> amazing artist. Mm-hmm. Perfect casting. She she has probably uh, the most impressive uh, credentials on IMDb because she has, you know, 
characters that she's actually played, then herself in a million things, mm-hmm. then the music she's composed. And it's just so cool that she it worked out so well for her to be in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure with all the other uh, musician cameos and appearances. That's just like chocolate and peanut butter right there. Getting her in that role, it's perfect. All right, so we've got the montages going on. We're picking up people left and right. We get Genghis Khan. Yes. Al Lung, Mm -hmm. uh, Hollywood stuntman. Oh, man, and uh, Die Hard, right? So Mm -hmm. he's he's the first Die Hard universe connection that we have with the Bill and Ted universe. We've got another one that we'll talk about later, which if you're paying attention at home, you already know is William Sadler. Uh, And also we've got uh, Chuck Denomalos who was in Lethal Weapon 2, and also mm-hmm. Al Leung was in Lethal Weapon 1. Not Lethal Weapon 2, but Lethal Weapon 1. Mm, okay. Cool. I mean, like, it, it it had to be a little weird. I'd love to talk to that guy and see what it was like to be, you know, one, transition from what it was like to be a stuntman in the 80s to two, to transition to being, like, I hate to say it, but token, you know, Asian bad guy. Right, right. And that's that's one of the things with, with Excellent Adventure, with the... Uh, these the montage characters who don't get a lot of screen time, you know they're obviously going to be the most uh, uh, one dimensional. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean Genghis Khan <laughs> won a Twinkie. Genghis Khan, right, right, you right. know, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like he basically grunted. I think I don't yeah. think he like spoke any dialogue. Right. Yeah. D- he uh, <laughs> during the big history presentation, he basically demonstrated martial arts. Right. Yeah. 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 So no, no real mm-hmm. insights into what. He thought of modern day San Dimas. But. Right. What better way to tie all that together than with that history report scene? Oh, just perfect. You know, um, that kind of leads me to, uh, you know, uh, Robert Barron, right? I mean, Abraham Lincoln. Yes, that guy. And you talk about somebody introduced in the montage, which he absolutely was. Mm-hmm. Easy for an American uh, audience to recognize him iconically. You know, right. Just super easy. We, we, you know, talked about that level of White House uh, security that was happening there. <laughs> right. He got snatched. Yep, yep. Andy it's- Graham. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, who could it be? Right, exactly. Not, what's a candy gram? But anyway, he is probably, out of the montage characters, the guy that gets the most lines. Yeah, you're right. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in the police station, he goes through the booking process and getting mm-hmm. interviewed. and like, Yeah, at the mall. Yeah, at, at the mall. He, he, <laughs> I, I'm Abraham Lincoln, you know. That's, right. Oh, that's so good. Yes, yeah. Ah. Yeah. But um. when, <laughs> fantastic. And then, of course, he gives he gives the iconic uh, speech at the presentation. It, it, you mm-hmm. know, that's maybe the second most quoted line. I, I think the most quoted line from the movie is, is, you know, San Dimas High School football rules. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and then after that is Lincoln's delivery of be excellent yep. to each other. And party on, dudes. That was very good. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I haven't practiced that like a billion um, times. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say probably after that, strange things are afoot at the circle K. Yeah, that's a good I still one. hear that a lot, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. All right. And so, you know, we don't wanna leave anyone out here. Um, you know, you obviously you have Freud played by the great Rod Loomis who uh, was King Zed and Beastmaster. My strongest memories of Beastmaster were being a very young boy and my parents having a satellite dish and that movie coming on, yeah. pretty heavy rotation. That being probably my first experience of seeing like uh, boobs in movies. Nudity. Was yeah, that, nudity in movies. It was a uh, uh, European vacation for me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, glad we could share that with no, each I'm other. I'm just saying, if we can't share that with each other, who can we share that with? <laughs> Beef oven? Beef oven. Um, yeah. I mean, great great little musical interlude there. I assume composed by a friend of the show, David Newman. 
Probably right. Yeah. Yep. And then they kind of bleed into the extreme song there in that montage, right? Oh, the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's yep. actually, you know, Nino Betancourt's guitar. Yep. But they kind of make it look like uh, Beethoven's playing it. And if anybody could, it'd be It'd be him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And maybe... I've not no, I've not looked into this. I don't know if maybe that's like a beef oven piece that you know Betancourt's playing. Uh, I I only could hope that that's true. I, I could. I'm going to hope it's true for your sake. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, do buddy. we need to do a fact checker segment on we, the following episode? I, I don't think we do because we're talking about Bill and Ted, and you know if, if anybody wants to fact check Bill and Ted, I, I just think they're missing the point. <laughs> that's so. right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we'll, t- we'll time travel later. Correct yeah, it. If you look through their IMDb pages, it's really cool to see. It's a snapshot of what was going on for like not not your big time Hollywood players, kind of like the industry guys that were grinding it out, doing uh, you know, right work as they could on network TV. So many of these guys were on. You were saying the Equalizer together, yeah, or not together, but on Do- doing similar bit roles yeah. for all these different shows and things that were going on. Right. A couple of them were on Battlestar Galactica, which post-dated, mm-hmm. but it, it's interesting to see these folks pop up there. Next Generation yeah, episodes. Yeah, a lot of Next Generation. You know, I was thinking I was thinking the other day about, uh, you know, maybe some missed opportunities between Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey. The, like, heaven scene would have been a great, great moment would to maybe not? tie back in some of yes. these guys. Like, bring Socrates back, you know? Who knows how easy it would be? I mean, it, it's it, it's simple for you and I sitting here in a studio recording a podcast to right. say, oh, that would have been easy to have. But I, I guess the problem you get into there is, well, did that person deserve to get into heaven or with that person? Because, <laughs> you know, like, I, Bill and Ted Ethos, all these, all these folks get into heaven regardless. You know, I, I think... For sure. Yeah, you know, it's not like uh, they're time traveling Okay, around. okay, maybe not Genghis Khan. You don't know. <laughs> I don't, don't know, know, you know. Like, but, uh, you know, at, at one point in the script, Hitler was going to be traveling with him. You know, so yeah. Hitler probably is not getting in heaven. So I could understand him not being there, but if you were making... <laughs> get Abraham Lincoln into, into heaven at least, you know? <laughs> Yeah, he could use a break, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That poor guy. I Maybe it was the fact that uh, the cost of recreating that top hat in white was too expensive and yeah. prohibitive. That, that's probably the only reason that that didn't happen. You know, we, I, I, we didn't get a chance to ask Chris Matheson, like, uh, what inspired heaven or how that got added into the script. Maybe it wasn't always there, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is interesting that how Landon Jr.'s father shows up as one of the historical figures in heaven. Oh, How okay. Landon Senior. I think it was he might have played Benjamin Franklin. Nice. All right, so let's get back into uh, you know, the main event here, Napoleon, uh the the person of historical significance with the greatest amount of screen time. Carried a third of the movie. Right. Uh this film would have looked completely different without his involvement. Mm-hmm. Terry Camilleri was so gracious to speak with us. Uh, fantastic actor. Um, as we talk about in the interview, you know, he worked with other great directors like Peter Weir. My only regret is we didn't have a longer interview, you know? I know. He was so I great know. to talk with. And it seems like he'd be a really good drinking buddy, too, you know? Yep. Like, I would like to have a glass of some good whiskey with this guy. I would, I would have a glass of bad whiskey with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> In a plastic cup. I don't care. Don't care. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun, and... Uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. All right. Here's our interview with Terry Camilleri. Excellent. 
Terry, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, let's get to it. How did you get into acting? Uh, firstly, it's my pleasure. Um, I got into acting, well, <laughs> I first wanted to get into acting when I was eight years old. My dad used to take us to the drive-in on a Friday night, and I really got engrossed in the movies. And then one day I noticed that I saw the same people in a different film. I, <laughs> I kind of went, well, I'd like to do that, you know, because I had a very strong imagination when I was young. And I told my dad, I said, that's, that's what I want to do when I grow up. And um, that's what I ended up doing. But I didn't start until uh, I, was, I was 20. Before that, I was a lead guitarist in a rock band for quite a while. Oh, wow. So <laughs> I, I'm a guitar player as well. Uh, uh, do you still play? Uh, well, I've picked it up again in the past couple of years. Uh, while I was in L.A., I got, I got this really nice uh, Big Apple, uh, 1978 Big Apple Strat, and I've been playing that a bit. I've been jamming with some of the old guys back here in Melbourne that I used to play with. The Stratocaster is my bread and butter, my friend. Yeah, this is a real beauty. So, uh, you know, when you got into acting, one, one of the great things I've noticed, uh, you know, looking up the roles you've played is that your first role was in Peter Weir's first movie, yeah. Cars That Ate Paris. How did you get involved working with Peter? He was working for uh, the Commonwealth Film Unit in Sydney at the time. And uh, I, was, I went uh, there to audition for a, an anti-drug film called Drugs and the Law with a director by the name of Keith Gow. I did... Uh, uh, an improvised screen test and uh, Keith was pretty impressed with that so he he showed it to Peter and Peter wanted to meet me and um, so I met with Peter and he told me about this film that he was going to direct with uh, actually it was a vampire film at the time with uh, John Farnham who was a well-known pop singer in, in Australia and Olivia Newton-John John playing the rock singer and, and Olivia playing the vampire and I was going to play his manager and then um, he uh, he said he'd let me know when that was going to happen so time went by and nothing really uh, I didn't hear anything and I did drugs in the law and then I got um, and uh, uh, I was asked to, to join the tour of Disney on Parade in Europe because I'd already done the Australian tour. And so I decided to do that for, you know, 10 months. Then I was called, Peter called me again and called me in there and he said, listen, um, uh, the, the vampire film wasn't happening anymore. I said, well, oh, well, okay, that's, that's okay. I've got other, I've worked out other plans anyway. He said, but I'm doing this other film called The Cars That Ate Paris and I'd like you to play the lead role. And I said, well, you know, and we talked about it in the story and I really liked it. And uh, I said, when are you going to do it? And he said, well, we're going to do it in about six months. I said, well, I'm leaving next week for Europe for 10 months. And he said, well, we'll wait for you. So did you and Peter then keep in touch? Because I saw that later on you were also in The Truman Show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we kept in touch. I, I mean, I have the utmost respect for Peter. I did another thing with Peter after Cars at Eight Paris, a thing, uh, um, um, a miniseries being done by the ABC here in Australia and, and, uh, and uh, BBC in America. Um, called Luke's Kingdom. It was uh, like a mini-series of a, uh, uh, an old Australian Western. 
and uh, I, I did an episode of that, and uh, it was a four-part thing. I did one of them well, that Peter was directing, and then I did Truman Show with Peter. He, I was in Los Angeles, and he called me at the time for Truman Show, and and he said, listen, I've got this part. It isn't a, a huge part, but I'd really like you to look at it. So he, he sent me the script, and I called him back, and I said, of course I'll do it. It's a great script, you know, so... And, and I've got to say, like, that is one of the most memorable images from the Truman Show. That, you, you know, the, the small screen time you have, when I think Truman Show, I think of you sitting in that bathtub. It, yeah. It's just striking. You know, it's, it's perfect. And you're the perfect man for it. Yeah, it was great. It was great. I mean, it, the, the, the relationship I've got with Peter was really, it's really special. I think it, it's really good because he, he, he trusts his actors and and you you talk with him you know and um you work with him you don't work for him and um a week before we we shot it um i'd read the script and i I went and saw him and i said listen um i'm going to be in the bathtub just me watching television right he said yeah i said would it be okay if i had some toys in there and <laughs> and the phone and magazines and 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 things like he said yeah absolutely he said but the only thing you can't have is a rubber duck i said okay no worries and uh, i think that helped to solidify the character so it, it appears like you were doing a lot of work in australia was there a point where you said okay i'm going to go to la and and uh, try and be based out of L.A., or was that selective? How did that work? Well, uh, I'd done a number of films in Australia, and I decided to, I needed to kind of get to know myself a bit more, so I I, um, grabbed the backpack and I went to Bali and then went overland through Indonesia and Malaysia and Thailand and Sri Lanka and India for almost a year. And then I ended up in um, uh, Europe, where I stayed in Malta for a bit, then in Paris, and then um, I, I settled in London, in Camden Town, and and I did some work there, and then I was asked to do um, a bit on Superman 3 by Richard Lester. And so I did that, and then from there I went down to Los Angeles and stayed, got an agent and formed a theatre group with a with some uh, some very good friends of mine, one that I'd met in London, uh, an actor that came out of Carnegie Mellon, and uh, I met he, I, I shared a house with his two friends. One was a writer and one was uh, a director. They all out of Carnegie Mellon. We started this theater group. So that's very cool. You know, um, so million dollar question here. You know, how did you get involved with uh, auditioning for Bill and Ted? Um, by my agent, and I, um, I went in there, and uh, it wasn't really uh, an audition as such. It was a meeting um, because in the actual original script, there was absolute, there was no dialogue uh, for for Napoleon. Really? And so uh, there was nothing. And all of that, a lot of what you see, was improvised, and all that dialogue was made up on the in the moment. Um, so I met with Stephen Herrick, a uh, wonderful man, and we we had a talk, and from that I got the got the part. That's amazing. Did you realize how much of the film you'd be carrying when you uh, when when you first read the script or, or looked at the part of Napoleon? Because you, you were essentially the the entirety of the B plot of that film. Yeah. No, uh, no, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, no, I didn't. Uh, uh, because there was there was no dialogue and there were uh, a, a lot of the things were added 
like the slide down the bowling alley and, and <laughs> it's iconic. And, that was such an iconic scene. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to I wanted to get that whole hand Napoleon's hand in his jacket thing, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to do it the the, the traditional way. So um, I felt that if I if I hurt my hand and I want, I had to put it in there to, you know, I thought that might do it, you know, and it's it kind so of worked. So take us through shooting the water park scene. I mean, that looked like it had to be absolute fun. I don't know if you actually loved water slides or not. <laughs> it was the greatest fun. I had a ball there. And oh, I just did what I did, you know. I mean, um, I went down down the chute with the cameraman. Uh, he was in front of me, and I'm, I'm holding the camera with him, and, and then I let go, and we, we just did what we, we did. It was not... It was not really worked out. I just, there was a girl in the way at one stage. I picked her up and put her down. <laughs> but it all worked so well. It was a lot of fun. It was took, took two days to shoot, and it was just uh, a lot of fun. It looks like it was a ball. And actually to see that sequence, that montage with, with Napoleon at Waterloo, you can see the transformation from him just being an angry, egotistical curmudgeon to actually finding his inner child and learning to enjoy himself a little bit. It's just great. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was like, actually, it was interesting because it was like coming through the womb and being reborn in a way. <laughs> and he just, because I, I realized, you know, before I did the film, I went, oh, shit, Napoleon. I do. How much research do I have to do here? I really got to work. And once I got on the set, I went, wait a minute. He's a duck out of water. He's not where in his normal environment. He's he, he's free to do anything he likes, and that's where, that's where I went with him, and it worked. That's so great. I mean, I think that's what made it so great is that we got to get one of these characters from the past and see what the day to day life would be like throwing them into the, you know, mid eighties. Oh yeah, especially <laughs> the double date with the with the young teenagers. It's just yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was good. That was good. <laughs> okay, how about the history report finale? How long was that? Were, were all of you on that set for a day or two, or was it just... What set was this? This was the high school gymnasium when uh, the guys are giving their final history report. Oh, we that was originally first shot in a classroom. And then, as we kept on shooting the film, I mean, the energy just built up and, and, and people started to realize... Oh God, we've got something here. There was it, it created its own energy, and so they decided to make a bigger thing of of that report scene and did the brought in a, a, a rock lighting man to come in and did the whole trip, and that worked so well. Was there anything you can recall that you filmed that maybe didn't make it in? No, everything. In fact, the be, the best compliment I have ever had. Uh, in my career was uh, didn't come to me directly. It was uh, my agent at the time uh, went to this party and uh, the editor for Bill and Ted was there and uh, he, he had a talk he talked with him about the film and how it was going. And he said, it's going great. He said he said, uh, it's amazing. He said, we've got this one character that we're using every bit of footage we've got of him and if we had more if he had more we'd use it and he said who was that he said it's napoleon he said we're just having such a ball with that and for me that is the best crit that i've ever had you know 
we actually interviewed uh, Chris Matheson um, the other week, and he had talked about comedy at that time. There really wasn't a whole lot of improvisation that was done at the time. You know, it's more of common now. But, you know, it sounds like you were a bit of a trailblazer, especially on that set. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you look at the history of comedies and, and how improv ha- has been more pervasive in modern-day comedies and the fact that you and uh, Alex Winter were both, you know, able to improvise and, and add stuff to an actual Hollywood script at that point is pretty impressive. Right, well, thanks to, to Stephen Herrick because, you know, um, he came from an editor's, editor's background. Uh, I, I came up with something and he said, all right, try it. And then he said to me after that, he said, listen, anything come up, you feel like doing it, just do it. It worked perfectly, you know. And the only other person I've worked with that, that's like that it was Peter Weir. So it was really, you know, really, it became really easy to do and uh, a, a lot of fun. So a lot of pressure was taken away. I was kind of allowed to just be, you know. Uh, is there anything else from the movie that you can think of that, you know, maybe we should be asking about or you're regretting that we haven't asked about? I'd, li- I'd just like to say I had the greatest time with George Carlin. We did a lot of shtick and improvisation and on our own, just messing around, uh, you know, in the makeup van or whatever, and or wardrobe. But uh, he was such a, a, a beautiful person, and uh, I, I miss him dearly. And he was... Um, He's going to be missed uh, in the next film. I don't know what's happening with that, but, you know, yeah, we'll they, they, I, I've read that, you know, that's going to be one of the most uh, emotional scenes from the next film. They they have uh, mentioned that. So uh, yeah. it, it, it does seem hard to imagine them doing it without Mr. Carlin. But did yeah. with your interactions, was he happy to be there? Was he like, did he think it was a fun project or was it just kind of? Yeah. He was having a great time. That's fantastic to hear. That it was a great time. We were laughing a lot. I mean, it was great. You know, I mean, everything about it. It was just easy. It was just an easy, easy uh, film to work on, because everyone was having a, a good time, enjoying themselves, and um, and and really into what was going on. So you know. So what have you been up to uh, recently, acting wise? I've been doing since then. I've done quite a bit, but um, um, in, back in Australia, I did a, um, a film which did really well last year called, called Oddball. It was about a, a true story about a, a chicken farmer that had uh, that uh, he had these organic chicken chicken farm and. Um, the foxes were killing his chickens, so he went to Italy and got these dogs, these Mirama dogs, or they, I think they're called, and um, they protected the chickens from the foxes. But uh, in Warrnambool, uh, in, uh, where where the film was shot, there's a little island where fairy penguins would come in, and um, and the foxes were killing them. They would come in to breed. And the foxes were killing them. When the tide was out, they would go over. So he, this guy decided to um, put his one of his dogs on there to see if it could protect it, and it did. And, and it did. So uh, a producer heard about this and got, uh, had a script written, and um, they wrote a script. And it was a huge hit. And I played the judge who was uh, really angry with the dog because the dog was the troublemaker and uh, in the town, but he was also the hero. He ended up being the hero. And I did another film after that called The Death and Life of Otto Bloom, a wonderful script. It's about uh, a guy that um, doesn't remember the past but remembers the future. 
And um, I don't play that character. I, there were four characters that are interviewed, and through their stories, the whole story comes out, and I played one of those. And that was a really good script and a really good film to work on. That sounds really neat. Um, you know, I'm a huge uh, Longmire fan, and I uh, was happy to see you show up in a couple of those episodes. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I originally worked with Robert Taylor, uh, who plays Longmire, on a film called um, Coffin Rock. Uh, a thriller being uh, that was shot in a, in Adelaide in Australia, and uh, I did that film with him, and um, he knew we, we knew each other before, but we became really good friends on that. And then he he asked me if I'd come and do something on uh, Longmire, so I did, and I had the greatest time. Listen, that was one of the greatest crews I've ever worked with, the greatest group of actors it was just a wonderful time and I spent a lot even seasons when I wasn't working on it I was there because I was in the states at the time and I'd go and visit Rob and uh, but they were just a, a great group of people Oh, that's fantastic. That was such a good show top to bottom. I was glad to see uh, yeah. Netflix pick that back up and uh, you know let them finish that out properly. Yeah Terry, thank you so much for your time this this has been uh, a real honor I, I Kelly and I have been texting each other back and forth all week. You know, oh, oh my goodness, we're getting to, to interview Terry Camilleri. It, it's just, it's a really is an honor for us. And thank you so much for your patience and making yourself available to talk to a couple of just uh, big, big fans. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Terry. My pleasure. And I, I just wish them the, for the, the best for uh, the next Bill and Ted. It'll be, I think it'll be, it'll be a good one. All right, and that was our interview with Terry. Amazing, amazing. So cool. Um, him, as you as you alluded to earlier, him talking about working with George Carlin, ah, it was just gold. Yeah. Um, the idea of the two of them in like a makeup room, horsing around, you know, just beautiful. I I loved hearing about shooting the uh, the montage at Waterloo. Yeah. That was so much fun. I, like you, you want it to be as fun as it looks, and then you find out it was just as fun. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and his like analogy of 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 uh, Napoleon going through the wormhole, coming out the <laughs> other end. I mean, yeah. so perfect. Just great. I spent way too long thanking Terry for his time, but I want to thank him again because pretty epic. I, yeah, I think yeah. we got a lot of insight that I had never heard before. I learned a lot, which is. You know, accidentally, why why I'm really enjoying doing this? Right, right, and I mean, you know, uh, love Peter Weir movies too. So that was just an added bonus on top of this whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I really hope he comes to Nashville so we can hang out with him. Oh man, yes, I've, <laughs> we got to take Napoleon to get hot chicken, right? Right, 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 definitely. So I think that's about it today, JT. I think you're right, man. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, you know, it's it's getting colder. Fall is here. Mm -hmm. Inching ever closer to Halloween. It is. Got and some good stuff cooked up for everyone yeah, for they, Halloween. I, I think you guys are going to like the Halloween episode a lot. Yeah. And so, you know, we always we always want to uh, thank uh, Scott Bricklin, Scooby Tunes Music, for letting us use the jamming walk away. Just the epic guitar riff. I heard from him this week. Uh, he said he loved the show. Oh, that's fantastic. Is it not? Is it oh, not? Oh, my gosh. So we're going to interview him eventually yeah, about that song. To. We've it's, got to. We owe it to him. We owe it to ourselves. We do. And we owe it we, to you, the listener. Yeah. And uh, then we also want to thank Michael Eats. And, uh, you know, What's we, he own, here? we own this town. He's our podcast producer. And it's a great podcast network. And there's a lot of great other podcasts. So go to weownthistown.net. 
And as always, be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes! Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at San Dimas Today. Is that a train? It is a train, yeah. Our high-class studio does have a train that runs occasionally behind us, so please forgive us. That's okay, that's okay.